Usage doesn't necessarily have to do with grammar. It may be that the word functions perfectly well in your sentence grammatically, but gives the wrong impression. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hi, Tom. Well, good morning, Paul. I think you have something that you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about synonyms today. You know, if you look a word up in a thesaurus, you'll be given all kinds of suggestions of different words that mean more or less the same thing. The crucial thing for English usage, of course, is that more is sometimes more important than less, that uh, words don't always mean exactly the same thing, and sometimes you have to know which one to choose. We have an awful lot of synonyms in English. Um, a really common example is stone versus mm. rock. As nouns, um, they're almost interchangeable, um, but as verbs, to rock a cradle and to stone somebody are totally different activities mm -hmm. and uh, couldn't possibly be synonyms. But why would we have two words so different from each other that uh, refer to the same thing? Uh, mm -hmm. English is the language which has the largest vocabulary of any language. Uh, if you don't count agglutinative languages, just briefly, agglutinative refers to things getting glued together, sticking together. And there are languages like Finnish and Sanskrit where you can combine different little word roots and make almost indefinitely long words, which are the equivalent of long phrases or sentences in English. Sure. Those are really not words in the same sense that we speak of words when we're, we're counting them. So uh, most people discussing this subject leave those languages out. English has a, a lot of reasons for having an awful lot of words in it. But one of the more interesting ones is our history. When the Normans invaded England in 1066 and imposed French as the official language over the top of Anglo-Saxon, um, the two languages eventually, um, I used to tell my students, it was a train wreck out of which emerged this mashup between two different strains of language, the Germanic northern ones and the uh, southern French-influenced ones. And the result was that you get things that are uh, equivalent to German Stein, which is stone, mm -hmm. and yeah. a rock, which is related to French rocher, modern. Mm -hmm. I'm just giving the modern forms because people will know those better. And there are a host of examples like that. So right away, you start getting all kinds of duplicates. It also makes studying the roots of words interesting and complex in English in a way that it doesn't in most other languages. So we have a lot of... French comes uh, basically as a Latinate language. Is that Correct. Correct. So we're, we have the Latin influence coming in, mainly from the French. And the Greeks, of course, Greek. influenced the, the Romans as well, though they were very different languages. Uh, the Romans absorbed a lot of 
Greek culture. And so we get a lot of Greek roots coming into English as well. You know, what's interesting to me, I, a few things that I'm thinking of right off the bat is uh, we'll have words that are synonymous for, for um, different activities. Uh, and the vulgarities tend to come from German roots. Is that right? Yeah, I guess that's true. And and the 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 synonym well, we won't talk about those words exactly people can make their own examples but the synonyms the Latinates or the the French term tends to be the more uh, the the more <clears throat> the euphemism you would use or the or the nicety you would use to for the same activity. Got an example in mind? Um, not offhand, and uh, well, I, we're trying to how about we're keep, trying to avoid the explicit label on our podcast. Okay, well, I think we could get by with just saying hell is German, and sure. inferno is it is from uh, Italian, but uh, infernal as an adjective, and hell yeah. hellish would be a pair that yeah. illustrates that. And that's uh, that's a perfect example. Now, uh, the other thing that comes to mind is earlier on you were uh, er, er, right off the bat you were talking about uh, stone and rock as being synonymous which they are uh, as nouns but at the same time uh, if somebody tells you uh, uh, I have a uh, you can't say you have a path uh, I have a I, they don't refer to a uh, path as uh, stepping rocks those are right. stepping stones. Yeah, well, the alliteration really works there. It does, and I and but you you that points back to the other thing you were saying about synonyms not not being universally applicable. You can't just substitute the word stone right. for the word rock and vice versa on every occasion. But for instance, if you were thinking, well, rock would be sort of more common and down to earth than stone, but then think of somebody looking at an engagement ring and saying that's a really nice stone. If you were speaking slangily, you might say that's a great rock, but it's not—it's <laughs> yeah. not what most people would say. It wouldn't be that flattering. It's kind of old-fashioned slang. Context really makes a big difference. Sure. Yeah. And uh, as soon as you say, "Well, a stone is smooth and nice, and a rock is more jagged and and rough." Then you have the counterexample of uh, river rock, which is the smoothed out rocks that, that are in the bed of a river that people put in their gardens. Yeah, and again, alliteration leads you. So it's the sound probably that's having more influence there. River stone just doesn't mm -hmm. flow off the tongue as nicely as river rock. Right, yeah. So the stepping stone, river rock, those are both alliterative. Now, when you talk about synonyms, one of the first things people are going to bring up is this Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. And um, the example everybody seems to think of and talk about is that Eskimos supposedly have 40 words for snow, and we only have one. Uh, it's also fill in the blank. It, it, it doesn't have yes. to be 40. It can be 100. It can be 10,000. That's it, right. It goes all over the map, depending on how, how hyperbolic you want to be. It long ago left its scientific roots and entered into popular etymology. And so people refer to it all the time without having a clue what they're talking about. In the first place, uh, there's not just one word for Eskimo that people who were studying uh, were the Inuit. And that's the, the language that we ought to refer to. But mm -hmm. the um, 
fact is that, that that language is also an agglutinative one. And what we're getting there is a combination of ideas stuck together, made into a single word. And just imagine if we were to take um, light snow and make it one word and crusty snow and make it another word and yellow snow <laughs> and make that another word. Um, that's essentially what they're doing in these Inuit languages. Now, it's true that they have more different ways of describing snow than we do, but it's not so hugely disproportional as the theory might suggest. We do have some single words like crust and packed and powder. Mm -hmm. And even sleep can be a, a, you know, on its way to becoming snow. So it's not that English is um, totally ignorant of ways of um, dealing with snow. So the comparison is a little off and it really doesn't matter very much, but the idea it's sometimes used to suggest that English is sort of impoverished in its vocabulary. And that's certainly not what the original theory was advancing and is just plain not true. Uh, we should also credit um, the, the study of shooting down the, the, that theory that the Eskimo, their Inuit language is unique and it's wide ranging variety of words for snow. That was Laura Martin that did the research on that to, to um, help, uh, help shoot down that, that theory and show us, teach us all exactly how Inuit languages are formed. Well, all of this is leading up to a conversation I had with my wife the other day as we were in the car and um, we talk about words quite often she had just bought some mums to put in our yard and uh, I was smelling them from the front seat. And I said, wow, I, that's those mums really have a nice smell. And then I thought, hmm, smell, that's a pretty neutral term. Um, odor, odor, odor is seen to me uh, almost scientific, more objective, not really what I was looking for. I mean, how do you feel about mm -hmm. odor versus smell? Well, uh, you say that, and I immediately, I instantly think of a neon sign that shows up in the sandwich shop, uh, Jimmy John's. And if you pass by a Jimmy John's, you'll, you'll see uh, in every one of them a, a sign that says free smells, which always struck me as really odd because if something smells, that smells, it doesn't smell good. And uh, so I was trying to think myself, well, how, how, what's, how would I do that in two words? How would I say our sandwiches smell great and it's free to, to walk by and, and, and smell them. And, and I can't figure out. And so I was wondering myself, should I do free, free odors? Well, that sounds even worse. Right. I mean, <laughs> doesn't it? Well, what, an odor is, uh, if it's not a scientific uh, if it doesn't have a, if you're not working on a scientific scale, trying to figure out, you know, how much odor or how little or something, just on its own terms, an odor always seems like it's negative. I'll think of the advertisements for the old things that you put in your shoes, you know, odor eaters. Odor eaters, exactly. Get rid yeah. of the yeah. smelly feet sensation. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that crossed my mind. Um, the free smells, by the way, I think might have been inspired by places like ice cream shops that advertise free tastes. Mm -hmm. And they were thinking, well, we're, we don't offer tastes, but we could offer smells. But the next word that crossed my mind was even more unsuitable or less suitable, stench. 
Sure, yeah. Okay, I didn't want to say it had a nice stench or a nice stink. It's aroma. Okay, that's aroma. a very Latin-based word that has very romantic uh, inclinations. So that that's nice. You, 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 the only time you find that used negatively is when somebody's being sarcastic. You know, the uh, aroma of wet dog drifted through the room. Uh, but you know that the person is consciously using aroma in a kind of odd sense there. And if you wanted to get even more fancy, you could talk about fragrance. Mm-hmm. And then another term, which to me sounds more objective, although it's used a lot in perfume selling, scent. Mm-hmm. And, but it can use, you know, a, a skunk has scent. And um, my mother used to buy Evening in Paris. That was a very common scent of the mm-hmm. day. Now, if you are a wine connoisseur, and the wine that you smell, it has a bouquet, mm-hmm. which refers us back to flowers where we started. Mm-hmm. And then I jumped to uh, the opposite extreme of funk, mm-hmm. uh, which is a modern American word. Um, it's got all kinds of spin-offs, funky and so on, um, and being in a funk and so on. It's got a whole bunch of meanings, but one of the original ones is sort of like a stench, a, a personal body odor that um, gives off, or, or your dirty clothes have a funk or mm-hmm. to them. Um, it can be positive. Now, you know, that was a really funky piece of music. It, that's obviously meant to be a compliment. doesn't mm-hmm. mean it stinks. Mm-hmm. So the, then I was thinking, hmm, you know, usually we think about the word mostly in visual terms, those of us who can see anyway. And a lot of writing goes into that. And one of the things that a lot of readers, including myself, enjoy about the writing of Ray Bradbury uh, was that he loved to include other senses in his descriptions. He wouldn't just say it was a bright uh, red morning on Mars. He, he might add something about the smells wafting across or the, the tactile sensations and so on, which gave you a, a much more rounded and detailed picture of, I used the word picture, didn't I? Uh, image description of the environment. So then I said, okay, well, what other kinds of lists of words could I put together that would uh, have a lot of synonyms that aren't all the same thing? And the first one I came up with was wet. Well, I'm living here in the Pacific Northwest. Autumn has come, and after a long drought, we're having drizzle, sometimes downpours, fog, mist, a lot of different kinds of wet coming out of the sky and landing on us. Uh, Washingtonians have a thousand words for rain. (laughs) Yeah, it gets exaggerated. It's actually been much, much, much drier the last couple of years than most people in the rest of the country could ever imagine we had it actually a hot, pretty brutal uh, drought in the summer. But, um, yeah, we know about wet. So I started thinking, well, what other, what other words do you use? Moist is one, which is pretty positive, I would say. And don't you think? Well, sure. I, it could also be, um, it's more or less positive. Um, I suppose if it's not supposed to be moist, but it is, 
it, 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 it's negative right off the bat. But that's true for any any word that you would use to describe. So just on par, I'd say, yeah, sure, it's a favorite. Yeah. Think about it on in the um, in the verbal sense. Moisten to moisten something is usually mm-hmm. to improve it. Mm-hmm. But well, the cake is that cake is oh, it's so moist and delicious. Right, right. But if you dampen something, mm-hmm. then it makes it worse. Yeah, the cake is damp. Right. You would never, you would, I've never heard that, but uh, if you ever did, you would know that was not, not a good thing. Yeah. And then if moisture is in the air, it's misty. Sure. And, but misty gets used metaphorically too. When you get misty eyed, that means mm-hmm. you're getting sentimental or moved in some mm-hmm. way and you're tearing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how far back that goes. It's, it's something I, think it's been around for a long time but somebody must have come up with that because it's not automatically the case that when tears begin to well up in your eyes the first thing you think of is as a fog rising um, but but everybody knows what it means now soaked mm-hmm. okay so usually soaked is you can get soaked uh, out in a shower brain or you can take a soak in a hot tub Mm-hmm. And most people see that as a good thing. Um, the newspaper was soaked when it was left out on the front porch. Not a good mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So context makes a big difference. Um, a soak in uh, older slang meant a drunk. Oh, I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, one. I think that's mainly British. Uh-huh. But uh, the idea being that you're saturated with this liquid, which happens to be alcohol in this case. Uh-huh. Uh, so drenched to me I I hear um, mothers particularly complaining that something's been left out and now it's drenched as mm-hmm. you know something that's been bad um, I don't know there are probably positive uses of it too well there might be on a menu um, uh-huh. yeah. if you now I'm not saying I'm not I don't want to rate the establishment based on the use of drenched, but especially if you're at a if you're at a place that uh, has a val values kind of over flavoring things. So uh, you know if it's drenched in cream, uh, cream or something. Yeah, I mean it might it might be it may not be a desirable trait for. For me personally, yeah. <laughs> for something, for some something to be drenched in 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 a sauce. Um, but if somebody loves that sauce, you know, that's well, that could be a that could be a, a selling point on certain menus, like poutine, mm-hmm. <laughs> drenched yeah. with gravy. <laughs> yes, exactly. So then I thought of thinking some others. That I think this is more or less in order of extreme statements. Sopping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm not, I didn't look up the etymology of sopping, but to sop something up is to soak it up and make it drier. Mm-hmm. So, um, and a, a mere sop when you don't get you just give a token of something to somebody is just a, a sop. And then soggy. And I mm-hmm. think soggy is almost always negative. And finally, waterlogged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that one's very literal, and mm-hmm. it has to do with things that have been sitting in the water, and more likely to do with boats and mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. But when when you're uh, writing and you're uh, looking for the right word, this is one of those cases where usage doesn't necessarily have to do with grammar. It's, it may be that the word functions perfectly well in your sentence grammatically, but gives the wrong impression um, to say, you know, you stink tonight beautifully. This, <laughs> almost nobody would say that who's a native speaker, but people do make various mistakes where they, they don't get the, the exact tone right. Well, it's it, it makes... Uh, it's it makes for a frustrating experience if you don't don't know the language at all, and this is not true just for English, of course. It's true for all languages. If you walk around with a, a dictionary, a translation dictionary, uh, you're inviting all kinds of trouble. And um, I remember, uh, I, I think I mentioned before that we had lived in Turkey for about a year, and. At one point, we needed, we badly needed a, a mat, a doormat for our, for the place, our apartment, uh, because we, town was uh, muddy and we always needed to wipe our shoes off, <clears throat> even before we removed them when we went inside. So we were running around town looking for a doormat, which wasn't exactly an easy thing to do in a small Turkish town. Uh, and we found somebody who would help us out and told him that we, uh, we looked up in our phrasebook exactly what we needed. And um, the shopkeeper looked at us like we were kind of nuts. Like, what, what do you, you really want that? And um, uh, after going back and forth to various shops and having people point us in different directions for this thing we were asking for, we finally ran across uh, somebody who spoke spoke English, and we described to him what we needed, and he gave us the term for it, which was uh, paspas, and that was the correct thing that we were looking for, <laughs> but of course, the thing we were asking for was a prayer mat, ah. and it, the dictionary, of course, did nothing to delineate that you know, there, there are different, all these different kinds of mats. <laughs> we just were going off of the tr- dictionary translation and there were all these different kinds of mats. So the, the word that we were using would essentially be used for prayer rug and not for a, a floor mat for, or a doormat for wiping your shoes. So uh, when we finally ran across somebody who uh, knew, knew both languages, he set us straight and found us what we needed. Well, my favorite example, and I think I'll end with this, is I had a cor- I have a correspondent that uh, we've written back and forth to for years and for a long, long time. Never met her. We had our correspondence had to do with literature and some research I was doing, and uh, she would sign her correspondence to me, "Hot love," and everything everything else in her correspondence was very formal, uh, although friendly. But nothing suggesting anything like hot love. And uh, so I wondered at first, uh, how is she coming up with this? It turned out she was using Google Translate. And she would type into Google Translate the equivalent of with warm affection. Mm-hmm. And it would get translated as hot love. Mm-hmm. And, well, sure. <laughs> and it turned out the other people she was writing to, she was saying the same thing. Oh yeah. Well, 
uh, I hope you helped her get get that corrected. You know, I was I was just too embarrassed. I didn't want to embarrass mm. her, so I just oh, let I it go, and she finally came up with other ways <laughs> of phrasing okay. it. All right. Now I, I'm no I'm no expert on on etymology, but we talked about vulgarities coming from Germanic and and tending to come from Germanic roots, and and then the the Latin form uh-huh. tending to be the more the nicer way of putting it. Um, now you we just went down and we we didn't solve the free smells uh, sign. We can't. I I can't fix that one. I can't correct it in in any of the vocabulary that you gave me for for the right. smell words. But I'm going down the ones that you listed as more or less positive: bouquet, fragrance, aroma, and then the ones that you listed as more or less negative: funk, stench, stink. Uh, I'll leave it as an assignment for the listeners, and maybe I'll do it on my own uh, later on too, to see what the etymology is of those words, because it looks to me like the ones that are more positive are the ones that are uh, more, uh, they look like they might have more Latin roots, and the other ones look like they might have Germanic roots. Oh, I've got to throw in one last one here. This is this is an expression that my wife passed on me from her ex-husband, uh, which I think is really funny. When walking on paths, we do a lot of hiking on Bainbridge Island, and we'll run into a horse dung on the path. And her standard comment is Ferdmert. Ferd being the German word for horse, and Mert being the French word for dung. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Quite interesting. Is there is there a final point to make about, uh, to sum this all up? Just be careful when you're using synonyms, I guess. Yeah, and one of the things that people just don't do a lot is let themselves be edited. Uh, let somebody else read. If, if it's if you're going to have an important audience and you think you might possibly may be misunderstood, uh, let somebody look it over and see if they can suggest, well, this word strikes me as not quite right for this context. Um, people will write so much in isolation now in front of the computer mm. that um, a lot of times things just go wrong. I find that when I make a Facebook post, maybe two-thirds of the time after I've uh, published it, I look at it again for the third or fourth time and say, ah, I left a letter out, or that's the wrong word in there. I have to go in and edit and change it. And mm-hmm. uh, I certainly see a lot of posts which are, are mangled where people have not gone through that process. Sure, yeah. Well, thank you, Paul. Oh, thank you, Tom. Talk to you soon. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.